Grace and peace, you're listening to United We Pray. Taking racial struggles to the throne of grace, United We Pray is a ministry devoted to prayer about racial strife, especially between Christians. We want to help Christians think better about race in a way that is biblical and helpful, clear and hopeful. You can learn more about our work at youwepray.com. That's U-W-E-P-R-A-Y.com, where you can find articles, old episodes, and more. I'm Austin Suter, one of the co-hosts, joined by Isaac Adams for a special edition of our podcast, a exclusive benefit to folks who have pre-ordered Isaac's new book. Woo, woo. Thank you folks for doing that. I hope this encourages you. And yeah, just seriously encouraged uh, by folks who have done this. So yeah, this is an exclusive for them. Uh, I want to thank you and pray the book encourages you. And hopefully this helps you uh, read it and process it that much better. So I'm glad to do it with you, Austin. I would like to congratulate the listeners on an excellent choice of pre-ordering this book. I think it's great. Isaac, I think you've done a fantastic job. And I'm excited to talk about it. Well, and because, I mean, I don't know that all the folks who pre-order regularly listen to the show. I, just, I would love for the pre-order folks to, to know how uh, encouraged I am because Austin is encouraging me. And there's lots of banter on our podcast. So thank you, Austin. And you're being kind and calling it my book because uh, I think no one has read more versions and drafts of this book than you, man. So thank That's you probably for all true. the labor. That is, yes. Thank you for all the labor. And yeah, man, I'm glad we, we made it to the finish line, man. I wouldn't have made it there without you. So I'm glad to be here and glad to talk about it, man. I'm glad to see it come out into the world January 4th, uh, 2022, Lord willing. And uh, Lord willing, it builds up the church in faith and unity and love. I should probably pray for that now, shouldn't I? I mean, this is Go ahead. Pray. So why, don't, why don't I pray and then let's hop in, man. Father, the, the folks listening to this episode likely have some idea that the conversation about race has turned so toxic and so exhausting and so wearisome. Lord, we need light, we need guidance, we need help. Lord, in some sense, forget about my book, we need your book. Guide us from the scriptures. Teach us, lead us in what is right. Send forth your truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Isaac, if I can share with the listeners a little bit of you know how the, how the sausage is made, this isn't the book you set out to write. Is that correct? No, that's right, man. It, it's funny. I, I really did not set out to write this book at all. I really wanted to write a book that would help evangelicals generally and white evangelicals specifically set out to more faithfully combat racism. In other words, I wanted to write a book that answered the number one question that I'm asked when I teach on race. What can I do? I just wanted to answer that question. But then things changed. Yeah, that sounds like that would have been a really helpful book. Why didn't you do that? <laughs> Man, maybe that's the next one. I don't know. But then, you know, uh, Jamar wrote uh, How to Fight Racism. I'm thankful for that. Uh, so uh, I, I think the Lord wanted a different book out there. So I'm glad with what we wound up with. But yeah, man, who knows? I'm sure uh, only more books on that topic would be welcome. So, uh, but what happened, man, is, uh, and it's interesting we're talking about this now, is uh, because we're right in the wake of the Ahmaud Arbery trial uh, with his killers. And I think it's accurate now to say murderers. And I was thinking about the book right in the wake of the shooting. And there was an African-American actor named Sterling K. Brown who went on Facebook Live. And this is right in the midst of COVID, man. So masks are new. Everything is new. 
And Sterling K. Brown talked about how he felt like he had to wear a mask as a black man in white spaces. And that really got me thinking, and you know I love poetry, that got me thinking about Paul Lawrence Dunbar's poem from 1896. So we're seeing there's a continual experience called We Wear the Mask, uh, which is really a prayer at the end. It's a beautiful prayer. Uh, and it's in the front of the book. So uh, make sure, you, listeners, you check out that poem because that's why it's there. But really what Dunbar and Brown were talking about was not feeling safe to be honest about who they were or what they had experienced as black men. And I thought about that feeling of danger or lack of safety per se, and how so many people, regardless, frankly, of their uh, racial background, felt like they were not safe in this conversation. And I think that's a major problem because that means we can't trust one another. It means we can't love one another. Uh, if we can't be honest, if we can't be safe in church, which is the very place we should feel the safest with our brothers and sisters. And so um, it seemed to me that folk uh, in my pastoral experience were wearing masks of a different variety. Now, of course, these these masks, aren't they're not the kind of masks, just to be clear for a second, they're not the kind of masks uh, that we wear around, that are around us today, that folks are wearing today, uh, given COVID, I'm talking more of a metaphor of a mask, uh, a mask that disguises who we are and what, what we're thinking about race that ultimately makes it really hard to have real productive conversations uh, that lead us to love others, real, uh, real folks. And I wanted to address that and have us lower our mask. I think, you know, folks don't wear them with the same amount of, for equally good reasons or with the same amount of difficulties. So I'm not saying, uh, you know, a white brother's mask or a black sister's mask, or they're one and the same, uh, but that's just it. I want us to understand and appreciate different experiences uh, because if we better understand how hard the conversation is, we'll better understand and appreciate one another. So that's what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to answer the central question, not so much what can I do, but why is it so hard to talk about race? Because uh, I think a lot of us want to answer that question, what can I do? But most of us can't even have a constructive conversation with that person we dread seeing at Thanksgiving, much less on Sunday morning. So I think some baby steps are in order, and that's what I'm trying to give very practically and very pastorally. Well, one thing I really appreciate about this book is just how real or honest it is and how I think folks who are in different places along the continuum of ideologies about, about race and ethnicity will feel themselves fairly represented by folks in the book. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, man, I hope so. And, and one way I tried to get at that was the book is, it's it's a weird little animal. I mean, it's half fiction. I like how you summed it up. It's half fiction and half pastoral commentary. Uh, and I'm trying to emphasize pastoral because I think there are many prophets in the conversation about race, and I'm thankful for that. But I fear that there's few pastors. And so this is primarily a pastoral contribution. Uh, and I'm trying to get... Uh, get to that kind of spectrum you just mentioned by having these different characters. And then I go back and counsel these characters uh, through this narrative uh, surrounding a fictional racial tragedy, uh, the shooting of an unarmed black man in this instance. So let's just make that clear. What we have in the book is a fictional scenario of a racial tragedy, an officer-involved shooting, and then a fictional community's response to that, or response is rather, because there are a number of characters who have to interact about this. So tell me why you did that. Man, I think I did it. I was getting, I was thinking about the book, and it, it it's clear to me that stories stick. 
stories are powerful. Like Isabel Wilkerson's Warmth of Other Suns. It's history, but it's so, I mean, it's this massive kind of tome length of a book, but it reads so easily because it's really biographical. It's really stories. And, you know, you think of Nathan the prophet and, or Nathan the prophet and David the king, and Nathan gets him in with a story, sucks him in with a story. And so there were things I wanted to say that are things I felt like needed to be said that I can't just say in this kind of didactic way. And really where we experience the rub, the kind of existential crisis is in the kind of conversations we are having. And you really can't just talk about this in this kind of abstract didactic way. And so I wanted to illustrate I didn't so much want to just explain the problem. I wanted to show the problem. I wanted readers to feel the problem and be like, someone has said that exact phrase to me, or I have said that exact phrase to someone else. And maybe this is how it was conveyed and kind of give folks a bird's eye view of very real conversations. So a lot of what's in the book is not just made up. It's stuff people say all the time. I don't have a racist bone in my body, for instance. And so I felt like story would be the best vehicle for that because you can cover a whole lot of ground in story in a way that you can't, you just can't in straightforward kind of didactic writing. I think that's true. And I think I wouldn't have thought of it in that way, but clearly you did and the book is better for it. But one of the ways you see that is just in you're able to capture different people's reactions and give the reader, you know, different people's thoughts in a way that doesn't come across if you're just arguing for a specific point. That's right. That's right. Oh man. I hope lots of different kinds of folks read it. I have a section, I think it's in I think it's in the introduction where I say I've written this book for Christians first and foremost, not just cultural Christians, real Christians who love their Bibles, who seek their sanctification, who love their churches, who love Jesus. I've written this book for Christians and for certain kinds of Christians. I've written this for black Christians who are tired of receiving white Christian scorn or apathy. I've written it for white Christians who feel like they are well-meaning, but just don't know what to do or say. I've written it for um, my Asian and Hispanic brothers and sisters who would love to have more than a black or white conversation, but feel like that's not really allowed if it comes out of turn. And I've written it for pastors who are just trying to hold the ship together. And I feel like that is just a common pastoral refrain in 2020 and 2021. I'm just trying to hold the church together with all these differing views. Uh, so those are the kind of characters I'm speaking to in the work. I think you've done that really well. What do you, what do you hope those different folks will get out of it? Yeah, I mean, there, there's the beauty of story is you're allowed to make lots of different applications. So, I mean, overall, the overarching kind of takeaway is deeper appreciation and more thoughtfulness about your speech, whoever you are, whether you're in the majority, whether you're in the minority, uh, is just understanding why this conversation is so hard. So that's the main takeaway. But for white readers, I want to help them be better listeners and understand why that's the case. Is that just a power move? Uh, I don't think so. So I want to help them understand that. For black listeners, I want to, th that, to help them understand their fatigue in this conversation uh, and understand how that doesn't give them, you know, carte blanche to say whatever they want. Uh, I don't want, and I try to answer very practical questions. You know, minorities are asking, should I leave my white church? You know, we have an episode on that, but I've, I tried to flesh out those uh, thoughts a bit more. 
uh, for my Asian brothers and sisters. Uh, I tried to help them understand the uniqueness of the black and white conversation, but also the importance of their conversation and their what they contribute to this conversation because Christ's bride is multi-ethnic. And for pastors, I just try to encourage them to hang in there. Uh, and I think so many pastors are asking a very kind of specific, what can I do question? What can I do in my church or with my church? Uh, and I try to answer that question head on. And I appreciate that your book is, I think, in the best way, sort of modest in scope and goal, because it's not like you set out to write a book to fix racism. And that's not to denigrate the work anybody is doing, but you just want to help people talk and think. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it was really interesting, man, writing this because it really showed me how much the Bible talks about talking. So in some sense, you can think about the book as a theology of speech applied to race and this conversation. And so that's good. I I think that's exactly what it is. Some people might be like, and and I appreciate this. Uh, Some people be like, haven't we? Haven't we done this before? Haven't we? We've heard, we've been to the conferences, whether it be Promise Keepers or something else. Uh, We've been to the racial reconciliation conferences. We've heard the panels. The time for talking is over. And I appreciate that. You know, it's new laws we need. And I'm certainly not denying that. Uh, But what I am saying is, given how polarized American society has been, and so to go back to your audience question, this is a very American Christian book. I, I try to make that very clear. I think I'm sure it has international applications, but I'm not just trying to to write for church global. I'm trying to write for American Christians situated in this historical context uh, with this nation's history and this nation's church history. But that being said, yeah, I very much am trying to get at how we are talking about this because you, I mean, you are a married man, Austin, you know, a lot of damage can come from just a few words spoken wrongly to your wife, right? That's, that's uh, and that true. really matters. God really does care about that big hole in our face. And we could do so much good if we learned how to talk to one another better. Was there anything that surprised you as you were writing it as being, you didn't expect that to be hard? Oh man. I mean, I say at the end of the book that this isn't one of the hardest things I've ever written. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done. I think trying to trying to represent folks fairly was hard for me because I'm a sinner <laughs> and I have my own viewpoint, right? Uh, so that was hard. And I think, you know, just realizing, yeah, not every story line that I kind of start in the book is going to have a resolution, just like how everything in a fallen world doesn't have a happy ending. Uh, so I was, I was surprised at, and maybe it's just the, maybe it's just what you know, a project like this involves. I was surprised at the amount of spiritual warfare. I mean, you, brother, how many times did I call you and I was like, bro, I, I don't think I can do this or just in tears. Like I can't, I mean, I had some serious second Corinthians one moments. Like I felt like I have received the sting of death, but this was to make me rely on God and not on myself. And so I uh, trust God got me through, but it was just hard all around. And I, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about this when he and kind of afterward, he wrote for Screw Tape Letters. It's really, it was easier to write really nasty conversations in the narrative. It's hard to write uplifting and redemptive things. Meaning he was like, it was really easy in some sense to, to put Screw Tape forward. It's hard to put something really beautiful forward. And I found that that's what our conversations, or the, one reason they're so hard. It's really easy to destroy and it's really hard to build. Well, I think you did a good job with it. And I, I think a, a refrain I kept coming back to as 
you know, when you would call me discouraged or when I could tell that you were down is like, I really don't think the enemy wants this book to come out. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, it felt that way. <laughs> so, um, yeah, man. And I think of Aaron and her in Exodus 17, Moses is in the battle and, uh, so long as his hands are up, they're winning, but he needs Aaron and her to keep his hands up. So you were that for me, man. Uh, you and a few others, you really just kept my hands up in the battle and I'm thankful for that. So it, it, this in so many ways was a group project. It was not just Isaac's, you know, ruminations or whatever. And I, I understand this is a, you know, a promotional benefit for folks who have pre-ordered the book, but we're not giving the impression here that it's more important than it is. Like we don't, we don't think the kingdom of God needs this book in order to advance. But what we are right. saying in saying that the enemy opposes this is like, this is exactly the kind of thing that the enemy does not want the church to be doing. He does not want the church to be having good conversations about race. He wants Christians to be as messed up on this stuff as the world is. And there's just a better way. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right, man. It's yeah, it's certainly... He wants us divided and estranged. And so, you know, I'm not just trying, I didn't just seek to write a Jeremiah or even just a lament. I sought to put forward kind of practical solutions and a unifying message at the end of the day. Hard, a hard message at different times, I'm sure, challenging. But we want faith, unity, and love to grow. And for that to happen, well, we've got to think about how we're communicating with one another. Anything else you'd like to talk about with the book? Anything else you want to tell readers to expect? I mean, I hope I, I, the book does not fit neatly into any ideological tribe. So I hope and would encourage folks to, to expect to be challenged. And I hope even bothered at some points. I mean, I was talking to someone the other day and they're like, I don't think a lot of the people you quote would get along with one another. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's right. And I, what I'm trying to model and show is that you can learn a lot from a lot of different folks. So this isn't just, you know, the narrative of the left or the narrative of the right or the narrative of the center. Um, and hopefully scripture is at the base of it all. And then the last thing I'd say is, you know, pass. I hope the book produces better conversations. So read it with someone else, pass it along. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is there are questions at the end of each chapter I think oftentimes, at least when I read a book, Austin, I always skip over those. I'd encourage you to do those questions. Think through those questions because that's the book in some, the, some, how this book works, it works as a workbook. And so I'd encourage you uh, to do those questions. And then lastly, please just pray for the book. Pray that the Lord would multiply the effort, preserve the effort. Yeah, because Satan was at work while I was writing it, and I'm sure Satan will be at work uh, after I'm done writing it and as you listener are reading it. So pray. Well, do you want to do that now? Let's do it, man. You want to start us? Absolutely. And well, hold on, Austin, before I, I think I just real quick, I think I said this, but I, sincerely, thank you. Thank you for buying the book. Thank you for pre-ordering it. Thank you for listening to 20 minutes of us talking. Austin and I worked really hard. And so thank you. And thank you, Austin, for all your encouragement. Just wanted to say that. Thank you for writing it. Let's pray, brother. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brother. Thank you for sustaining him, sustaining us in this work. Thank you for um, the end product. Lord, we just pray for everyone who will read it, for everyone listening to this. Um, we pray that they would be helped by it. We know if uh, we've done this work, but unless you build a house, labors work in vain. Amen. If any real 
life-changing work is going to come out of this, it's because you do it. And we ask that you would. We ask that people who read this would be able to have better conversations about this difficult topic and that their relationships and their churches would be better for it. Um, Father, you need to do that work if it's going to happen, and we ask that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Father, as my brother has prayed, we ask that local congregations would be built up because of this book. The work you've given us is not primarily one of tearing down, and so often in this conversation we are tearing one another down, but the work of a Christian is edification. It's building up. So, Lord, we pray that you would build up your church through this effort. Uh, Father, we pray as folks find things that are challenging, uh, Lord, that they would uh, wrestle with that, Lord. Uh, Lord, as there are, I'm sure, plenty of blemishes in the book, Lord. Forgive me for my hidden faults. Help people to take what's helpful and leave what is unhelpful, to remember what's good and to forget what's bad, uh, Lord. But we pray uh, that this book, insofar as it promotes gospel unity, would thrive uh, and that the readers would thrive and that they would be agents of unity, of maintaining blood-bought unity. Lord, it's not a unity we can create. Christ has done that through his death and resurrection, but it is one we maintain. And oftentimes we fail to maintain it. So Lord, give us wisdom and grace. Help us to appreciate uh, how these conversations can go wrong so quickly, so fast, and help us to give more thought to our speech, uh, to be slower to speak and quicker to love, Lord, because we can have all racial knowledge in the world. And what good is that if we have not love? So we pray this in Jesus' name. Thankful for everyone who's listened to this book, who's passed around and who's purchased it. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for buying the book. Yes. And we hope you're looking forward to reading it. Yes, and Grace check and out peace. United We Pray. There, Austin, I think one encouraging thing is the United We Pray logo is on the back cover of this book. So uh, if this is your introduction to United We Pray, uh, we do a lot more of these kind of conversations. And one thing I think, Austin, we try to do is model these kind of conversations. And then, most of all, importantly, pray about them. So check out United We Pray, folks. Absolutely. Thanks again. Pray.